Section six of Confessions of an English Opium Eater. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Confessions of an English Opium Eater by Thomas de Quincey. Section six. I dally with my subject, because to myself the remembrance of these times is profoundly interesting. But my reader shall not have any further cause to complain, for I now hasten to its close. In the road between Slough and Eton I fell asleep, and just as the morning began to dawn i was awakened by the voice of a man standing over me and surveying me i know not what he was he was an ill-looking fellow but not therefore of necessity an ill-meaning fellow or if he were i suppose he thought that no person sleeping out of doors in winter could be worth robbing in which conclusion, however, as it regarded myself, I beg to assure him, if he should be among my readers, that he was mistaken. After a slight remark he passed on, and I was not sorry at his disturbance, as it enabled me to pass through Eton before people were generally up. The night had been heavy and lowering, but towards the morning it had changed to a slight frost, and the ground and the trees were now covered with rime. I slipped through Eton unobserved, washed myself, and as far as possible adjusted my dress at a little public house in Windsor, and about eight o'clock went down towards Pote's. On my road I met some junior boys, of whom I made inquiries. An Etonian is always a gentleman, and in spite of my shabby abiliments, they answered me civilly. My friend Lord mm, was gone to the University of <sighs> Ibi Omnisefusus Labor. Reader's translation. All his labour was poured away. I had, however, other friends at Eton, but it is not to all that wear that name in prosperity that a man is willing to present himself in distress. On recollecting myself, however, I asked for the Earl of D., to whom, though my acquaintance with him was not so intimate as with some others, I should not have shrunk from presenting myself under any circumstances. He was still at Eton, though I believe on the wing for Cambridge. I called, was received kindly, and asked to breakfast. Here let me stop for a moment to check my reader from any erroneous conclusions. Because I have had occasion incidentally to speak of various patrician friends, it must not be supposed that I have myself any pretension to rank and high blood. I thank God that I have not. I am the son of a plain English merchant, esteemed during his life for his great integrity, and strongly attached to literary pursuits. Indeed he was himself anonymously an author. If he had lived, it was expected that he would have been very rich.
much but dying prematurely he left no more than about thirty thousand pounds amongst seven different claimants my mother i may mention with honour as still more highly gifted for though unpretending to the name and honours of a literary woman i shall presume to call her what many literary women are not an intellectual woman and i believe that if ever her letters should be collected and published they would be thought generally to exhibit as much strong and masculine sense delivered in as pure mother english racy and fresh with idiomatic graces as any in our language hardly excepting those of lady m w montague these are my honours of descent i have no other and i have thanked god sincerely that i have not because in my judgment a station which raises a man too eminently above the level of his fellow-creatures is not the most favourable to moral or to intellectual qualities lord d placed before me a most magnificent breakfast it was really so but in my eyes it seemed trebly magnificent from being the first regular meal the first good man's table that i had sate down to for months strange to say however i could scarce eat anything on the day when i first received my ten pounds banknote i had gone to a baker's shop and bought a couple of rolls this very shop i had two months or six weeks before surveyed with an eagerness of desire which it was almost humiliating to me to recollect i remembered the story about otway and feared that there might be danger in eating too rapidly but i had no need for alarm my appetite was quite sunk and i became sick before i had eaten half of what i had bought this effect from eating what approached to a meal i continued to feel for weeks or when i did not experience any nausea part of what i ate was rejected sometimes with acidity sometimes immediately and without any acidity on the present occasion at lord d s table i found myself not at all better than usual and in the midst of luxuries i had no appetite i had however unfortunately at all times a craving for wine i explained my situation therefore to lord d and gave him a short account of my late sufferings at which he expressed great compassion and called for wine this gave me a momentary relief and pleasure and on all occasions when i had an opportunity i never failed to drink wine which i worshipped then as i have since worshipped opium i am convinced however that this indulgence in wine contributed to strengthen my malady for the tone of my stomach was apparently quite sunk and by a better regimen it might sooner and perhaps effectually have been revived i hope that it was not from this love of wine that i lingered in the neighbourhood of my eton friends 
i persuaded myself then that it was from reluctance to ask of lord d on whom i was conscious i had not sufficient claims the particular service in quest of which i had come down to eton i was however unwilling to lose my journey and i asked it lord d whose good nature was unbounded and which in regard to myself had been measured rather by his compassion perhaps for my condition and his knowledge of my intimacy with some of his relatives than by an over-rigorous inquiry into the extent of my own direct claims faltered nevertheless at this request he acknowledged that he did not like to have any dealings with money-lenders and feared lest such a transaction might come to the ears of his connections moreover he doubted whether his signature whose expectations were so much more bounded than those of hmm, would avail with my unchristian friends however he did not wish as it seemed to mortify me by an absolute refusal for after a little consideration he promised under certain conditions which he pointed out to give his security lord d was at this time not eighteen years of age but i have often doubted on recollecting since the good sense and prudence which on this occasion he mingled with so much urbanity of manner an urbanity which in him wore the grace of youthful sincerity whether any statesman the oldest and the most accomplished in diplomacy could have acquitted himself better under the same circumstances most people indeed cannot be addressed on such a business without surveying you with looks as austere and unpropitious as those of a saracen's head recomforted by this promise which was not quite equal to the best but far above the worst that i had pictured to myself as possible i returned in a windsor coach to london three days after i had quitted it and now i come to the end of my story the jews did not approve of lord d's terms whether they would in the end have acceded to them and were only seeking time for making due inquiries i know not but many delays were made time passed on the small fragment of my banknote had just melted away and before any conclusion could have been put to the business i must have relapsed into my former state of wretchedness suddenly however at this crisis an opening was made almost by accident for reconciliation with my friends i quitted london in haste for a remote part of england after some time i proceeded to the university and it was not until many months had passed away that i had it in my power again to revisit the ground which had become so interesting to me and to this day remains so as the chief scene of my youthful sufferings meantime what had become of poor anne 
for her i have reserved my concluding words according to our agreement i sought her daily and waited for her every night so long as i stayed in london at the corner of titchfield street i inquired for her of every one who was likely to know her and during the last hours of my stay in london i put into activity every means of tracing her that my knowledge of london suggested and the limited extent of my power made possible the street where she had lodged i knew but not the house and i remembered at last some account which she had given me of ill-treatment from her landlord which made it probable that she had quitted those lodgings before we parted she had few acquaintances most people besides thought that the earnestness of my inquiries arose from motives which moved their laughter or their slight regard and others thinking i was in chase of a girl who had robbed me of some trifles were naturally and excusably indisposed to give me any clue to her if indeed they had any to give finally as my despairing resource on the day i left london i put into the hands of the only person who i was sure must know anne by sight from having been in company with us once or twice an address to hmm, in shire at that time the residence of my family but to this hour i have never heard a syllable about her this amongst such troubles as most men meet with in this life has been my heaviest affliction if she lived doubtless we must have been some time in search of each other at the very same moment through the mighty labyrinths of london perhaps even within a few feet of each other a barrier no wider than a london street often amounting in the end to a separation for eternity during some years i hoped that she did live and i suppose that in the literal and unrhetorical use of the word myriad i may say that on my different visits to london i have looked into many many myriads of female faces in the hope of meeting her i should know her again amongst a thousand if i saw her for a moment for though not handsome she had a sweet expression of countenance and a peculiar and graceful carriage of the head i sought her i have said in hope so it was for years but now i should fear to see her and her cough which grieved me when i parted with her is now my consolation i now wish to see her no longer but think of her more gladly as one long since laid in the grave in the grave i would hope of a magdalen taken away before injuries and cruelty had blotted out and transfigured her ingenuous nature or the brutalities of ruffians had completed the ruin they had begun. End of section six. Recording by Martin Giessen, 
in Hazelmere, Surrey.